the transfiguration, the time where we see that Jesus was transfigured. Now, this is noted in more than one spot. We can see it found in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And, well, you can also probably at least say it's alluded to in John, among other places, also in 2 Peter. But tonight I would encourage you to at least start with me in Mark chapter 9, and we'll notice it, and we'll jump around and look at some of the other, the other accounts in which we might draw out something uh, a little different or a little bit deeper understanding of what's going on. But as we look at the transfiguration tonight, let's consider the thought of declaring Jesus as Lord. Above all things, Jesus is Lord. I believe within this miraculous event that takes place, it is just another reminder. It's another example showing the greatness of Jesus as Lord. Not only does it show that Jesus is Lord, but it shows that Jesus is the only Lord. He's the only way. Jesus only is the answer. As we look at this tonight, there are correlating passages which I mentioned in Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 17 would be the correlating passage. One thing that we've often alluded to, and it wasn't very long ago on a Wednesday night, I made mention of it in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, we have Peter, and uh, as Jesus poses the question to him, he says, but whom do you say that I am? And then Peter replies, as always, as I've noted before, Peter's always quick to speak up. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He goes on to say, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, so we see all this that takes place, and think back in Matthew chapter 16 as Jesus tells them about the church and the coming of the church or the kingdom that was to be established and would be there soon. We find ourselves not further advanced in time. In fact, we'll look at Luke chapter 9 before we get started, and Luke chapter 9 gives us a, uh, a figure of time. It gives us a time period in which we're looking at. You can look at Luke chapter 9, which is the correlating passage to Mark and also to, to Matthew. But in Luke chapter 9, as he begins in verse 28, he says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things. So we're talking about a time period of about eight days after this in which Peter was there and he made the great confession that Jesus is Lord. Understanding that he was greater than all others, Peter said, I know that thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Now, as we look at that and we, we think back to the transfiguration, that's a little bit of the prior history to what's getting ready to take place. That brings us to Mark chapter 9. I would encourage you to look at Mark chapter 9 as we'll, or hold your finger there as we'll be flipping back and forth to it uh, many times throughout the night. Mark chapter 9, we can even look at verse 1. It says, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now remember, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, or you can even go back in Mark chapter 8, and you take notice of that of the coming kingdom, that in which Peter spoke out about, and, he, and Jesus says, Upon that rock, upon that foundation, that Jesus is the Christ, he said, I will build my church. So in verse 1, he says, look, it's coming really close. He says in verse 1, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom. So the kingdom was coming. It was at hand. It was close. From the correlating passages, we understand the kingdom is equal to the church. And now let's begin with the transfiguration. 
Point number one, we'll notice the transfiguration of Christ. Verses two and three. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Now you might have noticed one point already. When we looked at Luke, the first thing that was noted was it was eight days. And so there are people that might get up in hands and say, oh no, we've got a discrepancy. Uh, however, if you look at the differences and how they keep track of time, you might be a person that, that would say tomorrow is one day away. Well, if they were going to say tomorrow was one day away, they would count if they were talking about tomorrow they would say they would count today and they would count tomorrow so tomorrow is two days away uh, if you were talking about next week on Sunday instead of being instead of being like we might count it where we would say well it's seven days or we might say six or seven days they would count Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday and Sunday uh, they would count the day at the beginning and they would count the day at the end, which does away with the discrepancy because we have just the difference in how we keep track. Instead of counting Sunday, they would skip and say, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it's only six days versus that of Saturday where you count the beginning and the end. All right, don't want to spend much time there because it really makes no difference as far as lesson goes. So uh, I just want you to know it is not a... It's not a uh, discrepancy. It's just the difference in how they kept track of time. All right. So we see Peter, James, and a John. They're ascending the mountain with the Lord, and we're going to see one of the greatest miracles that takes place. We see in verse 2 it says that it's Peter, James, and John. They go up on the high mountain. It says he was transfigured before them. Now that transfiguring is something that is very special. It was miraculous. It was something that... We see take place here, whereas it points out in verse 3 that he shone so brightly or so purely, so white, as to be something that was unfathomable. It's something that no person could clean to make it that pure, that white. If you look at, uh, or if you consider my wife, my wife knows a lot about dealing with dirty laundry. There's a lot of times I bring white clothes home and it's no longer white. And she's really good at getting them clean. However, the problem is either A, I'm going to get them dirty again, or B, we're talking about here a perfection in the cleanness or the pureness uh, in verse 3. So he says, His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. So he's talking about white in its purest form. We're seeing, or uh, Peter, James, and John are seeing Jesus in this, this instance as perfection, as perfect, as holy as he is in his great majesty. They witness his majesty, which is shown by the great light. You know, Peter, one of the people that was there, in fact, wrote about this just a, just a little bit in his book. He didn't give the whole summation like we see here in Mark or Matthew or Luke. But if you look at 2 Peter, I'll encourage you to go ahead and turn over there. You can see and in his account, as he was there for the details, as he was there to see the, the whole thing transpire. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you can begin in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
But notice he says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let's go on. He said, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Notice in verse 18. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Thinking back to the, the great things that transpired on the, the mountain, Jesus, Jesus being transfigured before them as he shone as a great light, Peter recalls this example and says, we saw it. We're not telling you something we made up. We were there to witness the great majesty of God. Jesus in all his glory as he, he shows his great majesty before them, maybe something that we'll understand when we, when we are translated into the spiritual realm, when we, are, when we go from living in this earthly, physical body to the, the other side, maybe we'll have a little better understanding of the great majesty that God showed or that Christ showed there. So we see the witness of the majesty of Christ. The beloved Son in whom God is well pleased, the one that they must hear, now the thing is, within us, just as Christ was transfigured, that, that word that is used within the Greek is going to be the same word that God uses in what we need to be. It hasn't been that long ago. I mentioned Romans chapter 12. It says, and be not conformed to this world, notice, but be ye transformed. Same word. Be ye transformed. Be something different. We must shine just as Christ did. We must appear different. And what's he comparing it to? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got something that we, we show as something different than the world because of the transfiguring, the transformation that comes by the renewing of our mind through God's word. So we see in this, we understand that Christ expects us to be transformed. He expects us to be something different. Now, just as Christ was transfigured on the mount, we're to be transfigured from that of the world. And Christ on the mount shone as a great light. He was something that was exceedingly bright, something that was perfection in white. Just as Christ is the true light. Throughout the world, Christ commanded us in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16... A very special verse, one that many can quote. It says, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works. And he goes on to say that they also may glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus not only is the greatest light, the purest light that shows on the mount, also shows throughout his preaching and teaching, but yet Jesus commands us to be a light to the world. We're to be the transfigured ones in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 through... God's Word. This gives us an, under, an idea of possibly what the change might be that we'll undergo. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, "...who will transform our, lone, our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body." When we go from over here to over there, there's a change that takes place. Maybe this that uh, Peter, James, and John see on the mountain is, a, is an idea of what's going to happen to them when they go from here to the other side. Notice also John chapter 1. Now as I mentioned before, John, it seems as though in John chapter 1 he's alluding to this. He's alluding to the point that Jesus, the true light, that came into the world, that dwelt among them. 
You can go back in the beginning of, of John chapter 1 gives the history how that Christ was there from the beginning. Christ was the light. Christ was the life. Skip down to verse 14. He says, And the Word, which we understand is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice, and he says, And we beheld his glory. When they were on the mount, we know for a fact they beheld the great glory of Christ. Possibly it could be throughout his ministry at other times that they also beheld his glory, but that is one thing that we, also know, that one thing that we know for a fact. He says, The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Understanding, in verse 6, he said, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And I believe if you look at, at John and his opportunity to be there with Jesus as he showed himself in this manner on the, on the mount, I believe he would have had a greater understanding of Jesus, the true light. As you think about all these things, no, we didn't get to stand there before Jesus when he was transfigured on the mount. But just as within many other miracles that we find recorded in God's word, we are able to look at God's word and be a witness of his majesty. We're able to be a witness of the great glory of God, understanding why we should follow him. Understanding he, God, being the creator, Jesus being the creator, God being our master, the one whom we must follow, we can understand why we must live for Christ. Not only do we see the transfiguration of Christ, but let's look further in Mark chapter 9, and we'll notice the honor of Christ. Back in Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Here it says, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Notice verse 7, it says, And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. This is my beloved Son, listen to what he has to say. I feel like I can understand Paul in a sense. I mean, I can understand Peter in a sense, because oftentimes, if I don't know what to say, I just speak up and I say something. It feels like sometimes I'm quick to speak. We know that the Bible teaches us to be slow to speak, and that's something i got to work on. Uh, but we see here that Peter is quick to speak. He speaks up before he shouldn't, be, before he should. In fact, you can go back and, well, if you look in Luke's account, well, go ahead and turn there. Luke's account gives a little more light on, the, on what's taking place. In Luke chapter 9, Immediately when it refers to someone talking, the first question that would come to my mind is, well, what are they talking about? Uh, we've got Peter, we've got Moses, and we've got Elijah. And it says they're speaking. And in, in Mark's account, it doesn't tell us why, but it sure comes to wonder, or it sure brings a question in my mind, why would they be talking? Why would he want to talk to these men of old? And if you look at Luke chapter 9, starting verse 30, and read verse 31 also, it says... Uh, and behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jer Jerusalem. Okay, them being dead, be them no longer being on the earth, uh, 
I guess it would have been fitting for them to be there to talk with him. Great biblical characters. We see Moses who, uh, when you think of Moses, surely your mind goes back to the law as he gave the law and he, he brought the, the Ten Commandments down to them. We see Moses the lawgiver. Well, you can think of Elijah, one of the great prophets, one of the prophets of God. So within these two things, we see them meeting with Jesus, talking about his death that's about to happen. We know it's not far out at this point. As you get to the, a little further in the, in the book, you'll, we'll see that take place. But notice also in verse 32. Because sometimes I feel bad for Peter just because I understand him. I just feel like I know where he's coming from. And this adds just a little bit to it. Verse 32, it says, But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. You take a person like me that's quick to say something, that's, that's always the first one to answer, and then you make him tired, you know he's going to slip up. And so Peter messed up not knowing what he'd done or speaking before he had thought about it. We see Peter says, all right, let's build an, alt build an altar. Let's, let's do something. We've got these three great people before us. No doubt that Elijah is a great person. No doubt that Moses is a great person. Great biblical characters that did great things. However, the transfiguration is about the majesty of Jesus. Not to take anything away from the other two, but they're not the Messiah. Not to take anything away from Moses and Elijah, but they are not the Christ. They couldn't wash away sins. And so we see God speaking from the cloud, and he says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. You know, it shows a great light. It gives a great light to us today to understand it's no longer about the law. We don't look, open our Bibles and, and study Genesis through Deuteronomy, the, the Pentateuch, the, the books of law, to understand how we must live. Now, there are great things we can learn from the Old Testament, and I'm not trying to take away from that at all. However, we do not live under the Jewish law, the Mosaic law. Today, we live under Christ. You can look at the prophets. Elijah, being a great prophet, a, a great individual, wasn't who they looked to. God says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Who do we listen to? Today, we listen to the new will, to the new testament, to the new covenant. What God gave us is what we have to do or what we must follow in order to be saved in the end. God corrects the error of equating Moses and Elijah with Christ. <clears throat> Jesus is to be heard above the law, above the prophets, above all others, because Jesus is the Messiah. God spoke directly on a couple other occasions. You can look at Matthew chapter 3. Uh, as Jesus was baptized, we see uh, God speaks there. You can also go in John chapter 12, and you'll notice there is God, or as they're talking about the, the coming death of Christ, we see one other time where God speaks directly. And then obviously within the Mount, at the Mount of Transfiguration, we see God giving the command, listen to Jesus. We notice the honor of Christ far above the others. You might notice also that when the, when the dust settles, so to speak, God comes and we see the light from the cloud, and then after that's all over, after God speaks his peace, notice no one's left except Christ. 
Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and Peter, James, and John are there to see Christ. Because who do we listen to? We listen to the Messiah. So we notice the great honor of Christ. Finally, let's notice the evidence of Christ. Go back to Mark chapter 9. If your finger isn't there, go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, it says, Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. This I pointed to or I alluded to just a second ago. Everybody else is gone. Moses and Elijah aren't there because they're supposed to hear Christ. Notice in the final two verses there in verse 9 and 10. He says, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. At this point in time, as they come down from the mountain, they're commanded not to go out and to, to preach this great thing that they had seen. They're commanded not to go out and to tell people about the great thing that had seen where they witnessed the great majesty of Christ while he was upon this earth. And we see that they go out and they tell no one, but <clears throat> I believe it all points back to just as when Christ says, it's not yet time. Christ knew what was the best way. Christ knew the plan. Not always do we understand the simple things. Not always do we understand how things are supposed to take place. But Jesus gave the command here and he says, go out and tell no one. Keep it to himself. But yet the evidence of Christ would be seen. And today, we weren't there, but we're able to look in Matthew. We're able to look in Mark and Luke and John. We're able to look in 2 Peter. We're able to see the great majesty of God, the evidence that Jesus was the Christ. There's not going to be another person that was transfigured as Christ was and showed themselves as the Messiah, as the majestic one, as the King of Kings. But yet they witnessed it. And through God's word today, we can still witness it. I believe as you look back through the transfiguration, there's one key point. And I've pointed it out a few times, but the point is, Jesus is the only one that can bring salvation. Jesus is the only one that can fix your life. And he does it through his word. You know, if you look at Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. We see Jesus, the Messiah, has the authority. We can go back to many other, many other verses. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. He's over it all. He's in charge because... He was given the power. Just like in Matthew chapter 28, he says, All authority has been given to me. Ephesians chapter 1, he's been given all things. He's got the power, the authority. Verse 23 says, which is, his which is his body, the fullness of him, which fills all in all. You can also look at one other verse, Hebrews chapter 1, among other verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, God, who at various times and his various ways spoke to us in the past by his fathers, 
did something different. Verse, verse 2, it says, has in, these, has in these last days spoken to us through His Son. He spoke to us through Christ. Now, Christ is the answer. Not only is Christ the answer, but Christ is the only answer. Moses can't save you. Elijah can't save you. Your preacher can't save you. Jared can't save you. But Jesus is the only one that can save. No other words that are written can benefit mankind in the way that this book does. There's no other words that will be helpful for that of salvation. You know, in Galatians chapter, or there's no other words that will, will give salvation except these words. I mean, you might have someone that helps you and, and helps to study with you and teach you. However, if they're not teaching this book, they miss the mark. They miss the point. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, they, they point to this fact, point to the fact that the gospel is the key. It says, but if we are an angel from heaven preaching to you any other gospel... Then that which we have preached, it says, let him be accursed. Point is, the book that we hold in our hands, the Bible that we're able to open and to read, gives us all the answers, gives us the entire way in which we need or in which we can be saved. If we want to find salvation, we must look at this book. As we come to a close, I'd encourage you to think about one other verse. In understanding that Jesus is the only way, in understanding that Jesus is, is the same message that's been taught throughout history, nothing has changed. Jesus is still today the only way in which a person can be saved. You know, in Jesus' uh, time on earth, when he was speaking in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says to them, he says, I am the way, single. I'm the truth and the life, single. He says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. It wasn't because Jesus was selfish and all about himself, but the facts are, Jesus just gave us the answers. Jesus came and he died and he lived this perfect life before dying so that people could have salvation. It seems very obvious that we would want to give all the glory to him we'd want to give all the praise to him i know people might go out into the world and look for salvation in other ways they might go out into the world and look for quality of life in other ways but jesus is the only way the question is are we willing to give our lives to christ you know we see or we noticed we noticed peter peter being there uh also writing about being there and seeing the great majesty of Christ as he, he was transfigured before them on the mount and understanding when God spoke from heaven, knowing that this was the Christ, Peter went out and lived his life and lived as an apostle and he went out preaching and teaching to convert the world. I think of his first sermon in Acts chapter 2 as he goes and he, he begins to speak there and he stands up before the crowd and we see everyone that hears and he, he convicts them through the message, through Christ. And then he gets to the end and they question, what do we have to do to be saved? And he tells them, repent and be baptized. You know, Peter made that great confession that we see in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question is, do we believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the chosen one? The one in which can, we can have life. The one in which we can have hope, in which we can have salvation. Well, we've got the guidelines. We see, we see the great confession made by Peter. We see Peter, as he goes out and preaches the, to the world, he convicts them through God's word so that they understand that they were wrong, so that they understand that this was the Christ. And he says, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to change from the things that are wrong in your life. You need to, to turn away from Judaism for them at that point and give your life to Christ. The question is, are you willing to give your life to Christ tonight? If you haven't made the changes in your life, to follow Christ, don't wait any longer. Please come as we stand and sing. Title